0: God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said He came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Hey Cross United, I'm so glad you've joined us for this online message. We're going to be in John 15, 18 through 21. So I want to invite you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to John 15, 18 through 21. While you're doing that, I want to remind you you can go to crossunited.org. And at crossunited.org, you can click on the top left hand side of the menu bar, online check in. That's a place where you can get to know us a little bit better, fill out that. A digital connection card, let us know how we can be praying for you. We would love to get to know you a little bit better and for you to have the opportunity to get to know us a little bit better. Also there at CrossUnited.org on the top right-hand side is the Giving tab. If you consider Cross United your church home, or if you just consider yourself a generous person, uh, we encourage you to give. As a new church, we are supported by partners and people all across the state of Florida and across the nation who believe in us and believe in our mission. Um, But as we grow and as we mature, we need to become self-supporting. So thank you for partnering with us in that. Also, we are doing a book drive for Norcrest Elementary, the Tiger Book Challenge. We want to provide every student and every classroom in the school with new age-appropriate books. If you want to partner with us in that, you can sponsor a student at $25, a class at $250, or a grade at $1,000. Finally, this Friday, uh, we are going to be having our flight student ministry interest meeting and so i want to invite you to if you are uh, a parent of a kid in middle school or high school or a fifth grader who's going to be in middle school to be there to be a part of that exciting event all right we're going to be in john 15 verses 18 through 21 you know as we've navigated this last 14 months of the strange and sometimes scary season of the pandemic and the shutdowns and all that's been happening, we've heard a lot a couple of phrases. One is, I want to get back to normal. The other is, we have to adjust to a new normal. This idea of normal is an idea that life has a sense of predictability, a sense of dependability, that you can kind of expect what's going to happen. Sometimes normal gets a bad rap. We kind of think, you know, that I remember in um, high school, you know, there were bumper stickers that said, why be normal, like normal was something bad. But I think over the last year, We've experienced the beauty of normalcy, that life having its rhythms and dependabilities is actually a very beautiful thing. Normal is when you go to the light switch, you flick it on, and the lights turn on. Or you turn the faucet, and water comes out. Normal is you put your key in your car ignition, you turn it, and your car starts. Normal is the dolphins disappointing you yet again this year. Normal is a sense of predictability and dependability, the pattern of life as it's expected and supposed to be. Well, in scripture, we see that there is a normal pattern of Christian life, what 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 I think we could call the old normal. What we're going to talk about today is we're going to be talking about returning to the old normal. The pattern and rhythm of living life with Jesus. When we follow Jesus in the world, what does our life look like? What is the expected pattern and rhythm of living life when we're following Jesus? Well, in scripture today, we're going to see four ways and four truths about returning to the old normal we're going to see that in john 15 18 through 21 if the world hates you understand that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love you as its own however because you are not of the world but i have chosen you out of it the world hates you remember the word i spoke to you a servant is not greater than its master. Than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. First thing we see about returning to the old normal is the principle of hate. If the world hates you, Understand that it hated me before it hated you. In contrast to the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of love, and this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is Jesus' great command, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. But in, in, in a corrupted and twisted um, perversion of the kingdom of love, the world is a world of hate. The world hates God. The world hates Jesus. John 7, 7 says, The world does hate me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. The world hates Jesus because Jesus' ways and Jesus' words and Jesus' character exposes who the world is. The the ways and the words of Jesus witness against the world of the world's wickedness. The the world hates Jesus and then he's the, the world hates Christians in Jesus because of our testimony and the testimony of Christ that reveals the truth that they don't want exposed, that the world does not want to have to confront. Leslie Newbegin said that the world hated and rejected Jesus, finding in the end no place for him but a cross. Inasmuch as the disciples are the beloved of Jesus, whom he has chosen and has made his own, they will share the same rejection. Therefore, Christians ought not to be surprised if they are hated and rejected. The world will hate Jesus and the world will hate us. The world does hate Jesus and the world will hate us. And he tells them, understand this, know this, this is certain, this is normal for the world to hate the people of God. The second principle we see there, the second truth is the principle or the truth of separation. If you were of the world the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. It, it, it's interesting because we live in a world that's very polarized. And in our, our culture, um, in our nation, we're very tribalized. And and, and, and politics uh, is often the the sort of the the dividing line between people you know right and left progressive or conservative or republican or democrat well well we we see that in the scripture that it says the world loves its own but what we see often is is this this principle played out in tribal loyalties and identities that that those who are like one another are like one another that those who are of the same mind love one another and the world loves its own but the world always hates the other it hates Christians it stands against those who have been separated out from it and called out of it it, it, it sees in Christians calling out of the world in our vocation in our identity as those who are in the world, but not of the world, who are part of the world, but different than the world, it sees an indictment of its ways. So here we see that Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love you, but because you're not of the world, the world hates you. The world hates you because of your separation, because I've called you out of the world. We see um, that that often as as we navigate life in in this culture uh, it can be very easy for christians to align themselves with one worldly tribe or another and and christians can align themselves with one political party or another and what what we can see is that christians because they're aligned with a certain tribe can get fire and 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 hate from the other side and they think they're being faithful to jesus but there but here's the question it's not whether some of the world hates you some of the time but does all of the world hate you some of the time do you ruffle the fur of everyone at one point or another this is the test I believe, of what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. Because Jesus' ways, Jesus' words, Jesus' works, who Jesus is will never align with any human ideological tribal affiliation. And if one group always hates you and another group always loves you, then you have to wonder, am I following Jesus or am I captive to my culture? True Christianity will always ruffle the fur of every worldly affiliation at one point or another. This doesn't mean we go out looking to offend. Of course not. It doesn't mean that we intentionally are trying to make people mad at us. What it means is if we are faithful to Jesus at one point sooner or another point later, the world will. And its tribes and its affiliations and its groups and its parties will find itself at odds with who we believe, what we do, and who we love. The third truth of the old normal here is preparation. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus reminds them with his own words from John 13, 16, a servant is not greater than his master, and if they persecute me, they will persecute you. When, when Jesus saved Saul, the, the man who terrorized Christian churches in the early days of the church's life, And Jesus knocked him off his block on the pathway to Damascus, where he was storming toward the church to terrorize yet another group of Christians. Jesus confronted this man, Saul, and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul was persecuting the church. He was persecuting Christians. But Jesus identifies himself with his body and says, why are you persecuting me? We need to prepare ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves for the fact that when we follow Jesus, we will experience persecution. As we look at scripture, we see persecution discussed constantly. And I think we see at least 10 principles or 10 truths about persecution here from from John 15 and then throughout the Bible old and new testaments to help us prepare. First, persecution is normal. Persecution is normal. 2 Timothy 3:12. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4:12. Dear friends, don't be Dis- surprised when the fiery ordeal comes am- among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Persecution is normal. This is the normal pattern, the expected, predictable pattern of following Jesus. Second, persecution is a blessing. Bless Matthew five ten. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Next, persecution is an opportunity to pray for our enemies. Jesus says in Matthew five forty four, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Persecution is also sometimes escapable. Matthew 10, 10, 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. If we have the opportunity to escape persecution, we should take it. There's nothing inherently virtuous or automatically virtuous about suffering if we don't have to. Sometimes we cannot escape, but sometimes we can. And it's good and even commanded to escape if we're able to. Persecution next is missional. In Acts 8 1 it says, Saul agreed with putting Stephen to death, and on the day that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through the land of Judea and Samaria. And as we see the text go on, we see that those who were scattered went to preaching the gospel and planted the most important missionary church in the New Testament, the church in Antioch. Next, persecution reveals the heart. Matthew 13, 21. This one has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, he immediately falls away. Persecution doesn't lead to to someone rejecting jesus it reveals that that person never truly trusted jesus next persecution is an opportunity to exercise our trust muscles paul says that he felt that he had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in god who raises the dead when we suffer in general, and when we suffer for Christ particularly, He's giving us the opportunity to exercise the, the muscle of trusting Him in every circumstance. And the more we exercise it, the stronger it gets, so that our faith becomes unflappable in the face of fear and suffering and persecution. Next, persecutors can be saved even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. You know, the Apostle Paul seemed like he was never able to get over the fact that Jesus saved him, even though he persecuted the Church of Christ. He talks about it over and over and over, that he received mercy despite his evil next we must pray for christians who are being persecuted hebrews 13 3 remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily we're going to talk in a minute about whether or not we experience persecution in, in our culture as american western christians but i think we must, we, we, sh- we can't miss the fact that whatever we suffer for the name of Christ is tiny compared to what many suffer for the name of Christ all around the world. Our brothers and sisters who are suffering for Jesus, we must, we have to remember, we gotta pray for them and remember them and lift them to the Father. They are the heroes of the faith. Finally, Christ will protect Christians during persecution. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger in sword, or sword? And the answer, of course, is no. With these principles in mind, I think it's helpful for us to think about what it looks like for Christians in our context to be persecuted. Like I just said, we we need to remember and have some perspective about what our brothers and sisters around the world may be experiencing and risking for following Jesus. For example, one church in South Asia asks these questions of those who are preparing for baptism. Check this out. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you, forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die? for jesus these are the questions from their new member class this is their sales pitch this is their preparation this is what christians right here in this world right now are suffering so we're going to talk now about whether we suffer persecution but we need to keep it in Perspective of what other brothers and sisters suffer. With that said, I I think Christians and I did some crowdsourcing this week on social media and Twitter and Facebook, and and a, a large number of people said, "No, Christians in America do not suffer persecution," and I understand why they say that because I think typically we think of persecution as physical suffering for the sake of Christ, and that is certainly and and. Definitely one of the most um, intense forms uh, of it. But we see in the scripture that there are other forms of persecution. If we look at Matthew five eleven again, we saw this just a minute ago. Jesus says, You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Um. Jonathan Dodson in his book, Our Good Crisis, says that Jesus uses three different terms to describe persecution. Revile, persecute, and speak falsely. The first translated revile means a way to find fault as a way of shaming, to demean. This, pers- this form of persecution is emotional in nature and is intended to belittle. The second word translated persecute means to harass, because of one's beliefs, it's used in the context of laying hands on a person, imprisonment, and murder. It is physical in nature. The third phrase, to speak all kinds of evil falsely, is clearly more verbal. So when we understand persecution can take these forms, emotional, physical, and verbal, then we, we say, yes, there are times when Christians in our culture suffer persecution for the name of, Of Christ when somebody has their uh, bakery um, taken to court because of their belief in Christian sexual ethics I believe that could be an example of suffering for Christ when someone is fired from their job for their their fidelity to Jesus then yes Um, that I think we also have to be careful Because one person suffering in one place for the name of Christ is not every Christian in every place in our nation suffering for the name of Christ. We also have to be careful not to confuse speaking in Christ's name and suffering for it with speaking and being obnoxious and a jerk and suffering for it. I think sometimes we confuse those things. We do suffer for Christ emotionally, verbally, Maybe not so much physically in our context, but we must prepare because we don't know what's ahead. Jesus doesn't say to fight for our freedoms above all else. Now, should we seek to be free? Absolutely. Are we blessed to be free? Absolutely. Should we do through the proper channels what we can to be free? I think that, that the scripture says, yes, that is an acceptable and approved way to pursue life in a context like ours. That said, we must never elevate the virtue of our religious freedom above the virtues that Jesus tells us to live out in the world. We must prepare, we must expect that old normal is a life of suffering for Jesus. Now, that's not the only part of the story. The fourth thing we, th- we see is this idea of obedience. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In a hostile world, um, some will hear and repent and believe in the gospel. Some will hear the bad news that they are a sinner. They have rejected God and because of their sin, They are dead spiritually, they will one day die physically and ultimately die eternally. But if they turn away from their sin, repent of their sin, and turn toward Jesus in faith and trust him in his death on the cross for them, his burial and his resurrection, they will be forgiven and given eternal life. That happens. It's happened to me, it's happened to many of you, and it will happen to others many will reject the church many will reject jesus but some will not finally ignorance they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me why are christians persecuted because of the name of jesus True Christianity, I believe, is the intersection of three things. Faithfully believing in Christ, or what we historically have called orthodoxy. Faithfully obeying Christ, what has historically been called orthopraxy, faithful practice. And faithfully loving Christ, what we might call orthopathy, faithful affection. And when we follow Jesus in these three ways, we will testify to the world in such a way that the world will despise us. The world will despise us because it does not know God. It is blind to the truth. This past week, I had to go to the doctor, to the ophthalmologist to get my eyes checked, and they did the dilating solution and... It was really strange, um, because after a few minutes, I was sitting in the waiting room. They said, "Go wait while the while the solution works, and then we'll come. We'll bring you back and check your eyes." And um, I'm looking at my phone, and slowly the words on my phone began to get blurrier and blurrier and blurrier. And for the next two hours, I couldn't read my phone. I was texting Laura, thinking, "I have no idea what." if these words are even what I want them to be, I had to call her and say, hey, I can't see my phone. I can't read what you're texting me. I can't read what I'm texting to you. This is the world in ignorance. The world cannot see God. The world is ignorant, does not know God. On December 9th, 2018, Chinese authorities raided Early Rain Covenant Church and arrested the founding pastor, Wang Yi. December 19th, December 30th, 2019, a year later, um, Pastor Yi was sentenced to uh, nine years in prison for, quote, inciting subversion of state power and illegal business operations. And uh, I, I follow uh, page dedicated to praying for this church on Facebook and you can you can google this you can look for it it's all over just 10 days ago just 10 days ago chinese authorities raided this this church's christian school meeting and arrested um well this is just from the let me read to you from the facebook page on april 21st 2021 at around 10:30 a.m. in Chengdu's Wangjiang district about a dozen police officers, entered a residential building and took 12 teenagers, uh, most of whom were minors and children of Early Rain Covenant Church members, while they were studying, along with four adults, all members of our church, to the Yongning Street Police Station in Wangjang District. This was 10 days ago. The old normal, the normal Christian life, is a life of being persecuted for the name of Christ. So, what now? What now? First, become a Christian. The temporary suffering of, of following Jesus is immeasurably small compared to the glory of eternal life. To to become a Christian, you have to understand that you are a sinner, that you have disobeyed God, and that your sin separates you from God, that you are guilty before Him, that, that your guilt and your sin, you cannot take care of yourself. That you've tried all sorts of different ways to fix things and you haven't been able to do it. And the only way for you to be saved is to turn away from your sin and to turn toward Jesus. To repent and believe in what Jesus has done. Jesus, the true God who became a man, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead. So that if you will turn from your sin and trust in Him, God will forgive you of your sin and give you eternal life. Next, pray for those who are being persecuted. Read a read a good book. There's a one called The Insanity of God by uh, Nick Ripkin, talking about the church through the world, and how they're really, well, just, just the, the, the incredible, almost unbelievable ways people are faithfully following Jesus around the world. Pray Hebrews 13.3 consistently for your brothers and sisters who are in prison and suffering right this minute for the name of Christ. Don't be so focused on what's happening here that you miss the bigger picture of what's happening there. Finally, live a life worthy of persecution. Maybe the American church experiences so little persecution because the American church so closely mirrors the world around it. And it's easy to get confused because if one side hates you, you think you're being faithful. But like I said, if you're faithfully following Jesus, sometimes the world will applaud and sometimes the world will recoil. And if you're not bristling everyone, at least some of the time, you may be captive. Live a life worthy of persecution. Follow Jesus in wholehearted worship. Lean into authentic community and friendship. Repent of your sin. Live a life of holiness. Live a life that testifies to the world around you that the way of the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Live a life of mission. Tell people about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. This is the old normal to which Jesus is calling us to return.